This is the Food Factor Podcast, the show that talks about the connection between your health and what you eat or don't eat. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek, clinical nutritionist, health coach, science nerd, perma student, and mother of four. I love dogs, babies, and most of all, talking about all things health, wellness, and the weirdness of the human body. Thank you for being here. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Food Factor Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Mahachek. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to take about 20 minutes or so and talk about a topic that I feel like I've done repeatedly, but it is such a prevalent topic and one that especially coming into, at the time of this recording, kind of the fall, winter time, there's a lot of things happening seasonally happening with our bodies, our immune systems, a lot of things are going on. And I've touched on this topic, well, uh, this is actually going to be a couple of different topics, but what it all kind of revolves around is the quality of your food, the timing of your food, and how inflammation plays a factor in almost all of the things that are causing your symptoms. So I'm going to go over, these are actually notes from a presentation I did, um, but I'm going to tie in a few kind of real world situations and scenarios and examples, because I feel like examples and storytelling is how most of us learn best. And that's how we can remember things. But the biggest thing I want to cover and I want to stress and highlight for you is that all of this information is wonderful. It's great. But unless you're going to put it into action, it's not going to do you any good. So I'm going to go over a few action steps towards the end. Once we cover all this information, once you can, you know, let it sit with you and go from, you know, kind of the content to the context in your brain. And and then you can take some of that and really apply it and make some goals for yourself and, you know, take action on some of these things so that you can actually make a change and, and, and use this information. So that's my goal for this episode is to cover a few things that, you know, what food has to do with how you're feeling, especially this time of year. And I'm like I said, going to give an example of a client of mine and how we kind of walked through this for her. We're going to talk about inflammation and, and most importantly, as the name of this podcast suggests, the food factor to all of this and how food is a pivotal part of all of this and how you're feeling. We're talking about anti-inflammatory foods. We're going to talk a little bit about the gut's role in your health and how the inflammation, food, and gut are all connected, how food and your mood are all connected, how food and stress is connected, and what in the world to do about all of this. So that is the kind of outline that we're going off of. And again, I will be going through an example with a client that, um, that well, you can kind of see and, and take note of how some of her symptoms and so, how some of the things that she was experiencing might be important for you as well. So when we talk about how big of a role food has in how you're feeling, I don't, I don't think that people grasp that. I feel like we just kind of like, yeah, food is just something I have to have every single day. No, you have pivotal points throughout your day that can help or hinder your health. And that's something that Sometimes we can just take for granted, but a lot of times we really need to focus in on how these are moments of of healing for us when we make a food choice. And not every food choice has to be perfect. Not every food choice has to be super supportive. Please don't understand. Please don't think that that's what I'm saying. 
I'm just saying the majority of the time we have to take a look. If you're starting to have symptoms and you're starting to have digestive issues or headaches or um, skin problems or heart conditions or immune system conditions or any of those things that we all hear about and talk about with symptoms, there is a role that your food and your choices are making. So in those moments, please take that as an opportunity to kind of assess your diet and kind of assess what nutrients are you giving your body? What nutrients are you lacking? What nutrients are you getting too much of? There's all those different things that we can we can look at. At its core, when you break down everything, food is molecules. The body uses these molecules as building blocks, or you can kind of think of it as the foundation, like I, I commonly refer it to. These building blocks form every cell, every neurotransmitter, every hormone, and every element of your body. That's food. That's what our body is created of, these nutrients. If some of those molecules or nutrients are missing or disrupted or prevented from being absorbed, the body is really good at compensating in the short term. But long term, you can start to see issues form. And that's what we're kind of going to go over. So I want to go over a few common conditions and discuss how food choices can directly impact those conditions. And I want you to start thinking about symptoms that you might be having, or maybe somebody in your family might be having, and or different conditions that maybe you or somebody is diagnosed with. I want you to think of these in terms of root cause, because there is a root cause for every symptom and every condition. And I, I do also want to go over some triggers, which is basically kind of the start of the root cause. There can be a number of things that can trigger a cause or a contributor to a symptom. So uh, we're actually going to just focus more on, on the food aspect of it, because that's what we talk about here. But there are a number of different triggers to think about. I want to give you a quick story. I want to tell you a quick story about a client of mine. Her name is, we'll call her Jenny. That's not her real name, but we'll call her that. I want you to hear her story and start connecting the dots between what she was experiencing and what we're talking about today. So Jenny is a client, like I said, who first came to me wanting to lose weight. As most people who contact a nutritionist do, they usually have that as one of their goals. She had suffered with migraines off and on since she was a teenager. Recently though, they had started to become more frequent and she reports only having a bowel movement once every two to three days and said it's, she is starting to notice her depression and her anxiety have also been more prevalent. So just alone on some of those symptoms and, and just what I've given you so far, what are your first impressions about her? Do you think any of her conditions are related and slash, or do you think any of those have to do with what she's eating? Hint, hint, absolutely it does. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. So keep her in the back of your mind because I'm gonna talk about a few things and kind of set this up for talking about her uh, a little bit later. So when we talk about food and inflammation, I've done a number of podcasts about inflammation and food. So I'm, I'll, I'll kind of cover some of that information again, but if you want to dive a little bit deeper into this, you can always go back to some of those previous episodes. When you break down the cause of many chronic or even acute conditions, I shouldn't say the cause, one of the causes, one of the contributors is almost always linked to inflammation. 
So let's talk about inflammation just for a split second. I'll recap kind of some of the things I've talked about in other episodes. Inflammation is actually a good thing. It's a protective feature of our body. It's the body's natural way to protect itself from an irritant or harm or an injury. You can think of it in two ways, acute inflammation and chronic inflammation. Now, acute inflammation, as I've given the example before, is happens when you cut your hand or you bump your knee on the ground. You may get that swelling. You may get like a big goose egg kind of forms on your skin. You might, it, it, that specific area might turn red or it might feel bruised or you might feel pain. Now, chronic inflammation occurs when the body is constantly irritated by something, whether it's a germ or maybe something in the environment or in the case of what we're talking about, your food choices. So take one of the conditions that um, you know are pretty common, things like high blood pressure. We'll, we'll give that as an example. High blood pressure, when you zero in on it, is impacted by inflammation. The heart has to work harder to pump blood all around the body. That increased pressure, the, the blood pumping throughout the body is very high, or can be very high pressure. It can be very damaging to those blood vessels. The increased pressure causes inflammation within those vessels, which can then lead to cell injury of those blood vessels. The blood vessels are filled with cells. It can lead to injury within the cells and plaque building up and, and et cetera, et cetera, can lead to a whole bunch of other things. So, we can then ask, well, what caused the heart to have to work harder in the first place? And usually it's diet or lifestyle related. If you eat a lot of processed foods, the body doesn't look at these things as actual food because many of them are just chemicals. So these chemicals are very irritating to the body. Your body feels threatened. And as we learn, when the body feels like it's being harmed, its way of protecting itself is inflammation. Systemic inflammation, which is inflammation all over the body, systemic inflammation, especially when chronic, can then lead to having the heart needing to work harder and then an increase in the pressure in the vessels. And many health professionals will leave it at that and treat the inflammation. But let's ask ourselves, what is the cause or huge contributors of the inflammation? Because something is causing it and something is triggering it. When we talk about food that could be causing inflammation, there are some that are pretty universal and there are some that are more individual and personalized to each person. So let's talk about the universal foods that cause inflammation. Number one, surprise, surprise, you probably know where I'm going, it's sugar. I'm referring to processed sugar, also artificial sweeteners, but sugar or sweeteners in general. And keep in mind, sometimes it's not just the fact that something has sugar in it, but most things that are high in sugar have other inflammatory or irritating ingredients in them, whether it's food colorings, food dyes, other things that are naturally occurring that can also lead to inflammation. So it's not, I don't always wanna place the blame on sugar, although it is very prevalent prevalent in our diets and our drinks and all of that, um, but also look at it from a kind of a 30,000 foot view. Is it the whole entire food that contains that sugar, that extra sugar, does it also have other things contributing? 
Number two would be food grade chemicals and preservatives are also huge and something to watch out for. So these are the things like food dyes, food preservatives like nitrites, nitrates, sulfites, and any of like the benzenes like sodium benzene or potassium benzoate. Um, those are all very, very inflammatory and very prevalent in our foods. A lot of processed foods have a lot of preservatives and chemicals in them to help give them a longer shelf life so that manufacturers can distribute more. It can last longer on our shelves. It, it doesn't have anything to do with the health of the, or the health providing ingredients within that product. It all has to do with food preservation. Um, number three would be trans fats. That's a huge one. Trans fats are commonly found in baked goods, things with margarine in them, fast food and other like frozen kind of products like breakfast products or, or lunch or dinner items that are frozen have a lot of trans fats. Trans fats are hopefully on their way out, but you will still find some of those oils like the hydrogenated oils and partially hydrogenated oils in certain things. So just be mindful that when you see partially hydrogenated or hydrogenated oils, those are trans fats. Um, number four would be refined carbohydrates. So things made with white flour, white rices and cereals, breads, those types of things. Those are refined, meaning the naturally occurring good quality nutrients were stripped of them, of, of those good quality nutrients, and then um, artificially enriched and added those back in. So it's not as good quality. And a lot of those can be very inflammatory and irritating, especially to the gut, which we'll talk about in a second. Another one to kind of keep an eye out for is MSGs or monosodium glutamate. This is a food flavor enhancer that's added to things like soy sauce or fast food, different soups, salad dressing, deli meats that you'll commonly find MSGs. You'll also commonly see the label MSG free on certain things. So those might be some things to keep an eye out for. But that uh, particular food additive has been very irritating to many, many people and is one thing to keep an eye out for. Other possible inflammatory foods in some people would be things like gluten, commonly known, uh, dairy, and corn specifically. Those are kind of three that are very high right now, um, especially high fructose corn syrup, which is a sweetener and also corn-based. If you are one who maybe doesn't have a full-blown allergy or intolerance to any of these, but you have them a lot in your diet and you aren't feeling maybe the best or you notice a change in how you're feeling, maybe cramping, maybe bloating, maybe headaches, try swapping them out and see how you feel after a few weeks. But um, kind of do so with the advice of a qualified professional, whether your physician, your nutritionist, whatever, just so you don't inadvertently yank things from your diet and not properly, you know, worry about the nutritional deficiencies that could develop from that. We want to make sure we're doing that in a smart way. But just to test it, and if you have a suspicion, many people I talk to have a suspicion that they might be sensitive to dairy or gluten or corn or even egg or any of those or soy. Um, and so when we go and do this type of exercise, they sometimes notice like, oh yeah, that was definitely the thing that was causing my bloating. That was definitely the thing that was disrupting my sleep. That was definitely the thing that was making my energy really low or giving me headaches. And they can then swap it, swap in something else that is a, a similar food item, but does not give them that result. So this does not mean though, you have to permanently cut out these foods out of your diet. Having one cookie will not cause enough inflammation to give you heart disease. It's the compound effect of what you do day in and day out. That's the important thing. As busy people, 
We are all busy in our own way. Even people who don't think they're busy, you have a lot going on. You have things that you're thinking about and doing on a daily basis. You probably get into patterns of eating certain foods. Whether you classify yourself as busy or not, you probably get into patterns of eating certain foods, right? So if your pattern is more around some of the foods that I listed, like the sugary or the chemical preservatives or trans fats or whatever, then start finding ways to swap them out for anti-inflammatory foods a little bit more regularly. So what are anti-inflammatory foods, you might be asking? These are things like brightly colored fruits, such as berries and dark cherries or apples, veggies like green leafy veggies, broccolis, um, healthy fats like avocado and uh, olives or salmon or, or even nuts or seeds, things like walnuts, almonds, um, sunflower seeds, pumpkin seeds. Uh, also spices like garlic, turmeric, and ginger are very, very anti-inflammatory and help to kind of soothe the body's inflammatory markers that can go up based on different stressors that you give it throughout the day. So that's super brief. Uh, again, I have done uh, other episodes on anti-inflammatory foods and, and inflammatory foods. So I think a, a couple more recently too. So I don't, I don't want to go over everything again. You can go back and listen to some of those episodes. So let's transition over and talk about the gut. This is a great topic, something that I find so incredibly fascinating because we are in its like infancy of learning everything that the gut and the gut microbiome are capable of. And it's super exciting to be on the like forefront of some of this uh, information that's coming out. But just to talk about it in terms of, of what we need to learn today, the term gut health has become an increasingly popular phrase and, and a focus, which is fantastic because it's so important. And, and your gut has a lot to do with other symptoms you may be experiencing. So your digestive tract includes everything from your mouth, your, sm- your stomach, your small and large intestines, and your colon. So many times when people refer to their gut, most of the time they're referring to their stomach or their intestines. Many people simply associate their gut health with stomach issues, indigestion, bloating, diarrhea. And of course it is those things, but what it also is, is the line of defense between anything you ingest and the rest of your body. That's the importance of your entire digestive system. Upwards of 70% of your immune system is actually housed in your gut because of this reason. So let's say, for example, you eat an apple that happens to have bacteria or a virus on it. Your digestive system needs to be ready to fight that virus or bacteria so that it doesn't take over your entire body. Anything you consume, anything you put in your mouth, liquid, you know, food form, whatever, that comes in contact with your body. Once you swallow it, now your body is tasked with identifying, is it harmful or helpful? How do we break it down? How do we absorb and get the good things out of it? And how do we get rid of anything that we don't need from it? So your body has that, your digestive system has to have your immune system in there to help do that. Your gut, specifically, all of those tiny, tiny, tiny little microorganisms that live in it play key roles in the development of hormones, which we will discuss in a minute, but also absorption of nutrients and synthesis of nutrients. So most of those nutrients are absorbed in your small intestine with the help of beneficial bacteria that live there. When someone has a nutrient deficiency, which as we know can impact how you feel, how your body functions, all of the things, 
you definitely want to pay attention to one, are you actually consuming enough of that nutrient? But two, is your body actually absorbing it? Even if you're getting, you know, all the vitamin A your body can possibly take in, if you're not absorbing it, it's not helping you. So those are the kind of the two things you want to pay attention to. And and all of those things happen within your gut. I want to paint a picture so that you can understand how your gut relates to other conditions like inflammation. So when you're, when you imagine your digestive tract, I want you to picture a garden hose inside that hose are cells. I think we've gone over this before, but bear with me inside are cells that all kind of stick together. If you've ever seen like wood floor pellets kind of stick together, that's what I am pictured the gut lining in those cells. Each, each little wood floor pallet is a cell that are all smashed together perfectly in sync and perfectly formed together. Now, these cells are tightly placed together to help keep things like viruses and bacteria and, and other proteins and things that aren't supposed to pass through the uh, blood system. They're designed, the, everything, all the cells are stuck together so that it can keep things out of your bloodstream. Now, think about what happens when something comes in and irritates those cells. You know, what happens when there is an injury or an irritant in the body? We already went over this, it's inflammation. So when those tiny cells or floorboards get inflamed, they swell up and separate. Similar to if you get an untreated floorboard wet, it kind of buckles and bends and it swells and it separates. When that happens, pathogens and irritants can get into your bloodstream and travel around the body, which can cause more irritation and stress on the body and an inflammatory response. What also can happen is food proteins and molecules, which are helpful to the body, if they're in the right spot in the body, they can also pass through. And because they're not supposed to be in that part of the body, they're supposed to be in the digestive tracts, you know, being absorbed, not circulating around your your blood system. Your immune system then sends an attack on what it thinks is a foreign invader, which again, drives up inflammation and swelling and can lead to other conditions like migraines, like eczema, like arthritis. And what I'm describing, this whole process of what I'm describing is a very buzzy word right now, which is called leaky gut or um, actual, it's actually referred to as intestinal hyperpermeability if you want to sound super fancy, but it's leaky gut is kind of the, the lay term for it. A lot of people think that leaky gut is the cause of so many conditions, but it's not the root cause. It's a cause. It's a, it's a contributor of a lot of things. It's not the root cause though. It's a symptom. Leaky gut is a symptom. Something caused it to become hyperpermeable or leaky. So what could cause it? Sometimes it could be a gut infection. Sometimes it's caused by antibiotics use, which then disrupts the balance of the good and the bad bacteria that can cause some, some disruption down there. Sometimes it's caused by food allergens or intolerances. And, you know, there's a number of causes, but until you figure out the cause for you, you can't truly heal the gut. It's possible that it's just going to keep that cycle of inflammation going. And when we talk about the gut health in relation to your mood and how you feeling, how you're feeling, there's a huge connection. So if you, if you feel like you might have leaky gut because of some symptoms or bloating or irritation or whatever, 
you can one of the biggest things you want to do is figure out the contributor to the leaky gut and then heal the gut because if you don't heal the gut simultaneously find the the trigger or what is contributing a big contributor to the leaky gut you could heal it all you want it's just still going to be irritated and irritated and irritated because you're continuing to irritate it with whatever is causing it to be leaky in the first place if that makes sense so food and mood let's talk about that for a second the microorganisms in in the gut or bacteria that live in our digestive tract are known as the gut flora or the microbiota. And they help to convert and produce many of the neurotransmitters and hormones that are involved with our mood, such as dopamine you may have heard of, norepinephrine, and also serotonin. Um, In fact, kind of fun fact is close to 95% of the serotonin in our body is produced in the gut. If the bacteria in our gut is not healthy or if our gut cells are damaged, then the bacteria that make those neurotransmitters and those hormones, can't, can, they can be impacted. One thing about the microbiome is that there are thousands of strains of bacteria in our gut and most of them do different things. So like I said, this field of science is incredibly fascinating and they are doing so many amazing research you know, product, projects and, and huge scale Uh, research trials happening to link certain strains with certain conditions. A super simple way though of looking at it is that we have good bacteria and we have bad bacteria in our gut. The good bacteria help keep the bad bacteria in check. I like to compare it to like a city. I've given this example before. There are predominantly good people walking around and doing good people things and activities. And then you might have a bad guy in there too. But as long as the bad guys are kept in check and in the areas where they're supposed to be, then there's no problem. The bad bacteria though feed off of sugar and the good bacteria feed off of fiber and and also other things like found in fruits and veggies. So if you are one who eats a lot of sugar and not a lot of fiber, you could be starving off the beneficial bacteria and letting the bad bacteria flourish and kind of take over. There's a number of other things we could talk about in that regard, you know, things like antibiotic use and, and different chemicals, but um, we'll, we'll kind of stay focused. So many chemicals, also speaking of chemicals, such as artificial sweeteners and the food preservatives that I previously mentioned, they can also impact the good bacteria and they can, that can also result in inflammation and, and imbalanced hormones in the body. So for those people who identify as, you know, stress eaters or emotional eaters, which is a huge you know topic that we've talked about, This can create a vicious cycle of sugary foods, disruptive gut health and imbalanced mood chemicals in the brain, which leads to feelings of sadness and anxiety and depression, and then choosing more sugary or processed foods to cope. So you can kind of see how that can turn into a pattern relatively quickly. Some of us may blame ourselves for not having willpower, but could it also be an overgrowth of bad bacteria in your system, in your gut, that is contributing to those cravings and the poor mood and imbalanced you know, mood. So a few things I want to mention in relation to the food and or the mood and your stress that I feel are important, especially if you're under a lot of stress, when your body is under stress, it releases cortisol. And cortisol is one of the fight or flight hormones like we've talked about before. It, that hormone allows our body to either fight a threat of some sort or flee from it. The whole stress response is triggered when we see something 
a, a threat of some sort, our body releases cortisol and, and other things like adrenaline. And cortisol's job is to put all of the attention and resources into the muscles and parts of the body that will be used in fighting or fleeing. So things like the heart, the brain, all the muscles. It releases glucose, which is the body's main fuel source, into those areas so that the cells and those parts have the fuel they need to perform. Simultaneously, it suppresses the functions of things not deemed useful in that situation. So things like your digestion and your reproduction. So all of that sounds like a good thing, right? And it is in the short term. But how many of us are under stress constantly? Maybe not in the form of, you know, prehistoric times when we were running in, you know, caveman days and trying to, you know, fight bears or whatever. But now it's a form of traffic and deadlines and kids and activities and finances. The body doesn't know the difference of the source of the stress. Its job is to just respond to it and it responds to it in the same way. So when our cortisol is constantly high because of kids and finances and deadlines and all the things, it can offset our glucose and energy needs. It can lead to things like elevated blood sugar and insulin resistance and diabetes and heart issues. In relation to food, it can cause sugar and carb cravings, for one, because the brain is trying to supply the essential areas with glucose or blood sugar for energy. But those are the things that, as we just learned, those are the foods that can be irritating or a stressor on our body. So it can play a part in keeping cortisol and inflammation elevated, if you can see that. So the more sugar you eat, the more of a stressor it is on the body, the more of the cortisol and uh, insulin and glucose are released and, and put into places that can cause further in, uh, inflammation and stress on the body, which can lead to more sugar cravings and carb cravings and all that. So it's a vicious, vicious cycle. So you may be thinking like, well, I can't control any of that. Like how am I supposed to control when my cortisol is released and all that? Here's the amazing part. After all of that that we just went through, the amazing part is, is you actually do have quite a bit of control. I want you to kind of take this episode and walk away with the fact that you have control in the foods you eat or don't eat and ultimately in how you feel. Like that's pretty sweet. Like that's awesome. You can't control everything. I'm not going to paint this sunshine and rainbows model. You're, you can't control everything. We all know that. There's stressors that come up out of the blue that we didn't see coming. But the things that you can control, how much movement you get, how you take care of yourself, what food choices you predominantly make, what, how much sleep you get, how you control stress and stressors in the moment and, and long term, those are all the things that you can control. Even if you feel like it's just too much to control, you can absolutely make a huge impact on that for yourself. I also want you, if you're listening to this, because you're feeling sick or you're feeling bad or you have one of the conditions that you know are, are predominant in our society I want you to follow that chain back up to your root cause specifically what is it what dietarily or lifestyle is contributing to your symptoms do you suffer from migraines start tracking when you get them and possibly what foods you ate leading up to that migraine chances are you can find foods that may lead to a migraine or contribute it to them. Do you get eczema flare-ups that are painful or embarrassing? 
figure out what foods are more likely to lead you to a flare-up. I'd start with gluten and dairy if I were you, but figure out what has caused your flare-ups to be worse and can you tie it back to a food. I don't want you to think that food is the only cause of things like migraines and eczema, but is it a big contributor because it's something you're exposing your system to multiple times every single day? Focus on healing your body and reducing inflammation. We live in a very toxic world. Our air, our water, our soil, all of those have an impact on our body. So if we can focus on fueling the body with the foods that nourish and support it, you're better able to handle the other toxins around you. Toxins are one of those things that people get this false sense of hope that they can control every and limit every toxin. You you can't. I'm going to I'm just going to flat out say so you can't limit any every single toxin that your body is exposed to but what you can do is beef up your immune system and your body's detoxification systems enough through healthy foods and activities to help support your body as much as you can when it is exposed to things because inevitably at some point it will be and again my message is not that you can never have sugar or french fries or any of the foods that you might really enjoy that are maybe not as nutrient supportive Please don't think that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying though, is if you're noticing a symptom that your body, that's your body's way of saying something is affecting it. So let's figure out what that is and help your body heal itself. One little action step that you could take today, and I'll get into a a couple more, but one of the things is, are you doing the basics? Now the basics for me and my clients that I work with, I've kind of termed it the core four. Most of the time, if you don't know where to start, this is where to start. It's the most basic fundamental principles of nutrition and health that should happen for everyone. Are you ready? All right. Number one, water. You need to drink water. Are you drinking enough water for your body, for your situation? If you're not, which many adults and many children and many teenagers are not, that would be a place to start. Number two, are you eating enough fruits and vegetables, mostly vegetables? You need to be getting enough variety and also quantity of fruits and veggies every day so that your body can use those nutrients, those anti-inflammatory, antioxidant nutrients to help heal and support itself. That's a, that's a non-negotiable. You need to have fruits and vegetables every single day, preferably five to seven plus, or I've even kind of been aiming more towards the nine for some people, nine servings. Um, but you need to start there as well. Are you getting your water? Are you getting enough of water? Not putting any additives and sugary stuff in it. Are you getting good, clean, clear water? Are you also getting enough fruits and vegetables? Number three, sugar. Start reducing your consumption of sugar and artificial sweeteners. Notice I didn't say eliminate it, but are you overdoing it on sugar? And can you start to reduce the amount of sugar? Maybe start in the places that you don't really need it. Like if you're used to putting three teaspoons of sugar in your coffee, could you get by with one? Would you notice a difference? Maybe start there. So three out of the four core four things that most people aren't doing. Are you getting your water? Are you eating your fruits and vegetables? Are you reducing your sugar? Number four is exercise or movement. You have to move your body regularly in the way that you can. So if you're 
you know, not able to walk long distances, not able to stand, not able to lift super heavy things. What are you able to do? There are things that you are able to do. So what are those? If you're, you know, not able to move your arms and legs, can you get somebody else to move them for you while you're laying there? Move your body, use your muscles, move, move your body regularly. So again, the foundational principles, they're so, they're so simple seemingly. I don't want to say simple and use that lightly. They're seemingly simple because you're like, probably I've heard them before. I need to have water. I need to be vegetarian. Yes. Are you doing them? Most people come to me and they aren't doing even these basic things or they're not doing all of them. Maybe they're doing one or two, maybe they're doing three, but they're rarely doing all of them, which when we start to implement them and stay consistent with those four things, it makes a huge difference. It's not going to cure all your problems, but it makes a huge difference and gets the ball rolling for the bigger things that we need to tackle. Which brings me back to Jenny. I want to, I don't want to leave you hanging on on what happened with her. Remember, she was having migraines. Uh, She was experiencing bloating and, and, and wasn't going to the bathroom. You know, which sidebar, I talk about poop all day long with people. So, um, that's definitely something we talk about because it's so important. So she had weight gain, which by the way, is not the problem. It's a symptom, but everyone thinks it's a problem. It's not where it's a symptom as we've learned Earlier, I had asked the question, are Jenny's symptoms related? And if so, do they have to do with her food choices? Well, surprise, surprise, the answer is yes. At the time of her first coming to see me, she was eating what is referred to as the standard American diet or SAD diet. The standard American diet is full of fast food, not enough fiber, not enough veggies, a lot of processed foods, a few, for her, it was a few Diet Cokes per day, Uh, So we addressed her specific eating patterns and the types of foods she was eating. We applied those core four principles because like I said, most people come to me and they're not, they're maybe doing one. Um, But for her, we applied those core four principles and we really focused in on doing them well and getting into a good pattern and habit with those. Uh, And may I point out that she almost laughed at how simple that was. Just those four things. I, of course, tweaked them for her specific situation. We concentrated on healing her body and reducing her inflammation through different food choices. And I want to say change is not easy, but we broke it down into action items and action steps that she could easily do. And wouldn't you know, her constipation resolved. Her mood became happy and she was more of her happy, normal self as she referred to herself. Her weight subsequently reduced a little bit as well. And she was able to narrow down which foods triggered her migraines. All of that to say, what you eat and what you don't eat absolutely have a huge role in how you feel. In this case, we got to the root of her symptoms. She was eating very inflammatory foods that were causing gut issues, that were causing uh, symptoms related to her migraines and her weight gain and her mood and hormone imbalances. And we identified some of her triggering foods which made her gut happy. So I want to ask you, if any of this information was relevant to you, what are you going to do to help yourself make the first step? Like I said in the beginning, having this information is wonderful, but if you're not going to take action and actually do some of the things to help put it into practice, you can listen to this episode over and over again, but it's never going to help you. I want you to get out of that information hoarding stage and actually take action so you 
feel better. That's the whole point. You want to feel better. So maybe the first step for you is keep a food journal. It's so simple and you've probably heard it before and I have had a lot of people tell me, I don't wanna write down what I'm having. You don't need to write down the quantities of what you're having if it makes you feel better that you don't wanna do that. Uh, But make a connection with the types of foods you're having and how you're feeling, a food and symptom journal. If you don't wanna measure things out, don't. But just write down, I had an apple today at 8 a.m. I had a frozen dinner. I had a sandwich that had this type of bread and meat and cheese and lettuce and whatever on it. Write down simply the the types of foods you're having and write down how you feel. Do that for about a week or so and see, are there any patterns? Are there any connections? Are you eating enough? Are you missing out on key nutrients? This is what I look for in clients. I look for, are you getting enough of the key nutrients that you need? And when you come at me with a symptom or a condition, I am fine-tuned to zero in on specific nutrients that are definitely going to be important for you to get symptom relief. So are you getting enough of those nutrients? If it appears that you are, are you actually absorbing them? Which is back to the gut issue. Are you actually absorbing the nutrients? So these are, you know, that's just a sidebar about how my brain works when it comes to this. But maybe start by keeping a food journal, a food and symptoms journal, just to see if there's any patterns that you notice. Maybe your another step for you is to tackle the core four. Get really, really good at the core four. Are you getting your water? Set a goal around your water intake. Are you getting enough servings of vegetables and fruits, mostly vegetables? Are you getting a good variety of those fruits and vegetables? Maybe take a look at your sugar intake. Maybe track that for a couple of days. Are you going above and beyond the 24 grams of recommended sugar in a day, according to the American Heart Association? And where during your day could you maybe start to reduce it where it would be like the low-hanging fruit where it's the easiest one to tackle? Are you moving your body regularly? Do you have a consistent exercise routine that involves strength training, cardiovascular exercise, and stretching that kind of combine all three? Are you doing that regularly? So I would start there. If you need help with any of this, of course, reach out to me. This is what I do. I really feel like I blew through this information really quickly because for me, this is what I talk about all the time. And this is what I talk about with clients all the time. And I kind of forget who I've said what to. <laughs> so on the podcast, I'm sure I've gone over the core four before, but um, but these are the things that, that we really need to hyper-focus on. And until you nail the basics, until you nail these core four things and get really consistent with all four of them, We don't wanna move on to a bigger fish if you only have a rod that's set for a 10 pound fish. You know, that's a horrible analogy, but you get my point. You gotta start at the foundation to build on. So get good at the core four. If you need support, if you need accountability, if you need somebody pointing in the right direction or pointing out things that are maybe blind spots for you, reach out to me. I do free consultations. We can talk about how working together, what that looks like, how I can help support you. Or if anything, if you need a higher level of care or a different different level of care, I can send you in the right direction with my uh, incredible network of Spartanburg doctors and therapists and other nutritionists that can definitely help. Um, also, if you're not in the Spartanburg area, I can uh, uh, send you in the right track in your area based on uh, where you're at and what you need. So reach out to me if you have any questions. I would love to hear from you. If this episode resonated with you, or if it was helpful in any way, or if there's somebody that you think needs to hear some of this information, hit that share button or um, leave me a review or find me on social media at Food Factor Nutrition on Instagram or Facebook. 
and let me know how it went. Send me a DM and and what were your aha moments? What are you going to do to apply the core for? How does that look for you? What connections did you make keeping a food journal? I'd love to hear all about it. So send me a message and I want to hear from you. That is all today. This episode went a lot longer and hopefully it wasn't uh, too much of a ramble session because like I said, this information, there's a lot of, of moving parts and it can get overwhelming, but my goal is to not overwhelm you. My goal is to simply highlight the fact that you can make changes. And if you need to help doing that, reach out and get some help to do that because this is your chance to do that. This is your life. You deserve to live a life that is symptom-free, condition-free, and healthy healthy and happy. So uh, please reach out if you uh, need support with that. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the week. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Food Factor Podcast. It is my personal mission to help people make the best food choices that they can for their particular situation. So if you found this episode helpful, I would be so grateful if you would share it with a friend or a family member or somebody who needs to hear this information and also leave me a review. Those are the things that help get this podcast seen and heard by more people who could use the help as well. I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.